Today's episode is brought to you by Nature's Menu, the UK and Europe's leading expert in raw and natural pet food. I'm Mel Sainsbury and I'll be bringing you everything you need to know about your pups and beyond. Welcome to the Pupcast. We've all heard the term three-nager when it comes to our own little ones, so it should come as no surprise that this can be applied to our furry family members too. But how do you know when this stage is going to hit? It's a period often not anticipated by owners, and sadly most rescue centres see that a lot of dogs are left with them for rehoming between 6 and 18 months old, as canine adolescence can be really challenging. This is the perfect time to welcome our first guest, Alex Benjamin, Associate Lecturer in the Department of Psychology at the University of York and pup parent to Cooper, a Cocker Spaniel. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Mel. Thanks for having me on. Lovely. Thank you for joining us. So, Alex, your expertise and research focuses on the communication between humans and animals, specifically on the communication with dogs. So a key thing about your research is that it's played a crucial role in the development of My Dog's Favourite podcast, which is designed to encourage dogs to relax using gentle praise and soft music. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. So um, the way that I got into this, uh, basically, I've loved dogs my whole life. Um, And so it was a real uh, privilege to be able to study dogs as part of my undergraduate in psychology at York. Um, And so I set out to try and understand the difference between the type of speech that we use with dogs compared to with adults. So when I'm talking to you now, um, I'm using primarily adult directed speech. That's just how we talk to each other normally. Mm Uh, when we talk to babies, we use infant-directed speech, which is all, um, you know, lighter, kind of pitch uh, changes a lot more. Uh, it tends to be a lot higher pitch, lots of repetitions. And that's the same kind of speech that we use when we talk to our dogs. So we might say things like, oh, you're such a good boy, um, or would you like to go for a walk, and things like that. So uh, I wanted to know whether dogs actually pay attention to that more uh, than adult-directed speech or whether it's just something that we do as humans because we think of our dogs like our kind of furry children. So we recorded speech to adults and to dogs and we played this back to puppies uh, and dogs in kennels and we measured how much time they spent looking at each of those uh, speech types and we found that dogs spent a lot longer looking towards the dog-directed speech Uh, than the adult directed speech but also they chose to spend more time with somebody that had recently been using dog directed speech and using that silly voice with them compared to the person that was kind of telling them a boring story that they weren't interested in so we used that understanding of uh, what things might kind of get great grab your dog's attention um, things that will get them excited and get them wanting to be involved with you and we've done a few different things So for the podcast, we were interested in using some aspects of of dog-directed speech to get your dog's attention, uh, primarily to give them some company while they were uh, left by themselves during the day. So, uh, you know, at the time we recorded that podcast, most uh, people were working um, not not from home as we are at the moment. Um, And so lots of dogs were being left by themselves. Um, And so we wanted something that was going to be a podcast just for your dog, but that was going to be soothing and relaxing to try and encourage our dogs to um, behave themselves and and have a sleep, have a nap and rest up while we're away so that when we come home, we can then spend all the fun times um, going on walks and, and using up all their energy again. 
That's really fascinating, actually, because now at least I have got some comfort that I'm not an absolute lunatic standing in the middle of the lounge or in the middle of the field talking <laughs> to my dog like it is a baby. So at least I know I'm actually doing the right thing now, which is quite comforting for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people feel like that as well. It can feel a bit silly using that dog-directed voice, uh, yeah. but, it, but it seems yeah. like they do really enjoy it, which is good. You can certainly see why people do feel a little bit embarrassed and a bit self-conscious when they're in the middle of the park and they're talking baby. You can see people change as soon as a stranger appears and they start talking all sensibly and, and in an adult way to their dogs. And, and they, you can see that their dogs react totally differently. They think, why are you talking to me like that? This isn't the friendly way that I'm used to. But yeah, it's quite nice to have that comfort that we're not lunatics. We are actually doing this for a purpose now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think you can def- you can tell a lot in uh, if you ever go to a puppy class the ones that have been there for a while or have had a previous dog and they're quite happy to get down on all fours and play around and kind of be a bit more excitable and and animated whereas the uh, often people who are new to puppy class might think well what if I just walked into Uh, (laughs) but no it definitely I think you know our our research seems to suggest that it is something that dogs pay attention to and that that could be because our individual dogs are conditioned through through puppyhood to think well this 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 person's doing this silly voice with me and they're giving me some treats while they do it or and they're giving me a game or and then they're going to take me for a walk so it could be that they're learning these positive responses come along with that silly voice which sort of trains them to pay attention to it when they when they get a bit older um it could be the other way around though so it could be that dogs have evolved this preference for high-pitched tonal um sounds similar to uh, what other animals show uh, this preference in the wild so it could be that dogs have developed this um, or evolved this over time and actually because they pay attention to it it then conditions us to do it more so we kind of think oh my dog pays more attention to me when I do that voice so I'll keep doing that voice to try and get its attention so it's really interesting we can't really unpick that from my research at the moment is whether it's us training them to like the sound or whether it's them training us to use the sound because they like it so that's a really interesting question yeah that's really fascinating be really interesting to look into that deeper um so with regards to our dogs becoming teenagers um what actually happens at this stage because i think so many dog owners are completely unaware that their dogs do go through an adolescent stage we're we're perfectly happy to accept that children go through it and oh they hit the terrible teens and they become moody and grumpy and they already know everything there is to know um but i don't think we expect it with our dog so can you just sort of explain what happens and are there any hormones or developmental changes that we need to be aware of? Yeah, so I think you're right in the fact that people don't necessarily expect it. I think, you know, anecdotally, when I've spoken to people who've got puppies, I think they're prepared for that crazy puppy uh, toilet training, uh, biting, you know, when dogs, you know, have those needle sharp teeth when they're puppies. And I think lots of people think once they get through that stage and once their dog is toilet trained and knows a couple of commands that their hard work is done. But actually, as our dogs get to adolescence, they have a lot of of physical changes, but also um, they, you know, they have all these hormones rushing around their body for the first time they get a bit more confident and this can really um, manifest in lots and lots of different behaviors and suddenly you know the, the most co- common thing that's reported is that suddenly your dog just stops listening to you so your, your previously perfect puppy that was able to sit on command and show off all of his um, you know shake his paw and do all these fun things in front of your friends and family suddenly you ask him to do something when you're outside when there's maybe another dog present or there's some new people and they just completely ignore you and show you up in front of everybody um, 
And this can be to do with a lot of things. I think, you know, the most common one is that they, you know, their bodies are full of hormones. They're paying attention to different things. They want to go and sniff more. They want to go and uh, see that dog, potentially the dog of the opposite sex, to try and sniff out, to try and start thinking about finding mates. There's lots and lots of stuff going on here. And I think the most important thing for um, puppy and dog owners to remember when they're going into it is that it seems really awful at the time. And, you know, it's kind of, I've, I've got a three-year-old um, Cocker Spaniel at the moment and I I think he's still going through adolescence in lots of ways um but you know it's about being patient and being prepared and knowing that it's going to happen and then just kind of you know giving your dog that space to, to experience it and to go through it and supporting them through it rather than thinking you know everything's gone out of the window i need to change everything and be completely different and do something different often it's a case of just being really consistent making your dog's life a little bit more predictable so they can be a bit more confident of what's going to happen during the day um and just being aware of these changes, particularly things like the secondary fear period, which often dogs go through around the same time as adolescence, which can cause them to suddenly become a little bit more reactive or a little bit more fearful of things that they weren't scared of before. So it might be that, you know, you walk down a main road every day since your dog's been out for walks and then one day he gets scared of the traffic. And, you know, you could think, you know, something's gone wrong. I need to push forward. I need to make him confident of this. Or you could just go home and try again tomorrow. And I think having that understanding that your dog is going through stuff uh, and needs a little bit of patience and just needs you to support them through, I think, can help um, lots of dog parents who are finding them really troublesome and thinking of them as going through something and, find, and you know, struggling rather than just behaving badly, I think helps you get through that stage because, you know, it, 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 de it definitely helps to think that your dog isn't just being naughty. Um, they are just going through something that every dog goes through and it might take your dog a little bit longer than other dogs and that's okay. And you've got to just figure out a way to get through it together. I think that's great. Absolutely brilliant advice. Um, can you give us any idea of when it might happen? And is there any difference in the breed of the dog or any other factors? Or is it just sort of a standard, this is when it's going to happen and this is when it's going to end? <laughs> it would be really nice, I think, if we knew exactly when it was going to happen and when it was going to end. I remember thinking it was never going to end with mine. But um, I think the, the general sort of consensus is that it can happen from around six months old. Um, and it depends on perhaps the breed. I, I know uh, ten, bigger dogs often tend to go through it a little bit earlier and kind of come out of it a bit earlier, which is nice. Um, depends a little bit on the individual dog as well. Um, as I said, I think, you know, my, my dog's three and we're definitely coming out of the worst of it. And I, you know, I think there's still some, some bits left over there. But I think the majority of dogs will go through this somewhere between six months and, and 18 months to two years. Um, and, you know, I mean, a sp I've got a spaniel and they say that you know spaniels kind of can can take five or six years to get through um but i think that's them just being generally a bit giddy so it'll depend on on a little bit on the breed and the size of your dog but also on um the individual personality of your of your dog so i think it helps to be prepared for it but i think you know uh talk to other dog owners um of similar breeds and temperaments to your dog and that might give you a little bit of an idea of when it might come to an end but i think you know if we're prepared that it's going to go on for a little while and, and like i said it is about managing it and supporting your dog through adolescence rather than just hoping that it'll all kind of go smoothly and you know you'll be out of the out of the woods in a couple of months um it's a long it's a long old old stretch but there's definitely ways to kind of make it a bit easier on you and your dog oh that's 
brilliant. I mean, it's it it would be lovely if we could just say, right, this is when it's going to end, and and just be prepared <laughs> for it, and they'll all book a holiday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, unfortunately, it's not that easy, is it? And it's it's quite interesting actually talking about sort of bad behaviour because I was I was having a chat with somebody the other week actually, and we were saying how. Um, bad behavior can be interpreted by so many different people so differently. I mean, somebody might think that their dog jumping up them when they come home from work is the worst thing in the world and it should never happen and the dog should be on the floor at all times. Whereas you speak to somebody else and they say, oh my God, this is the best thing ever because my dog loves me and he loves seeing me and I love him jumping up and giving me a big kiss and a cuddle when I come home from work because I know he loves me and adores me. And it's funny how different people interpret different behaviors as good or bad, isn't it? Nature's Menu is dedicated to the health and well-being of its pets and yours. Discover the world of raw and more by visiting naturesmenu.co.uk. The Pupcast podcast is offering an exclusive 20% discount to its listeners. Simply enter Pupcast20 at the naturesmenu.co.uk checkout. Do you know if they will eat more during adolescence? Again, that's something that we associate definitely more with teenage boys. They seem like bottomless pits when they hit their teenage years and they can just eat and eat and eat forever and ever. Um, do you know if the similar thing happens in dogs? I think lots of dogs will eat and eat and eat generally. Um, I actually found with my dog that he was less keen. Uh, he sort of went through a phase of, of turning his nose up a little bit at his dinner um, and I think that can partly be because I was feeding him a lot of treats or a lot of things extra to his dinner for the training. So if you're taking your dog to training classes or if you're taking a bag of sausages with you on your walk to try and get them to please come back when I call you, um, I think sometimes we can be supplementing them with lots of calories um, outside of their, of their normal meal, meal times. So it's really worth paying attention to what you're feeding your dog. You know, f- finding something that they enjoy eating, I think is, is every owner's sort of dream. I want to put his food down and I want him to sort of wolf it down and, and enjoy it and think, you know, is there any more for me? Uh, rather than sort of picking at it throughout the day. So finding something that works for your dog and finding something that works for you as well. Um, you know, something that you're happy to give, give the dog. Um, you know, that's convenient, that's within your budget. There's, there's, there's lots of things I think to, to consider with food. Um, yeah, I, I think thinking about the type of things that they want to eat, again, often the environment becomes way more exciting. So your dog that would maybe have originally come back from another dog for a handful of kibble uh, is probably not going to still happen uh, through adolescence. You know, they're going to be looking for, for much nicer things to eat. Um, you know, freeze-dried liver, uh, chicken, cheese, things that are smelly, that they're really going to want to eat, uh, even when the environment is really exciting. And if you've got a dog like me who will uh, turn, turn his nose up at lots of different foods when he's out in the environment you know sometimes it's about thinking you know well what can I offer instead of food uh things like play or toys you know maybe he'll prefer to chase a ball than he would to take a little bit of cheese for recall so in exchange for a game versus in exchange for food so yeah I I think that their eating patterns can change but it can be dependent on a lot of different things so the type of food that they're going to be eating when they're puppies is often a lot higher in calories to get them to put that weight on while they're growing and then the type of food that they might need when they're a bit older might might be a little bit different lovely treats is a really difficult one isn't it because Oh, all the time over the years I've been doing training with my dogs people get so paranoid about oh I can't feed him too many treats because he'll get fat or I've taken an allowance out of his dry kibble meal that he has and bought that for training and you just think oh it's so boring but I think the the beauty of having a young puppy is they've got 
boundless amounts of energy and I think uh, you can afford to treat them as long as they're small and you're not going to fill them up with about five treats because they're so huge as long as they're nice and tiny pea-sized I think that's great but yeah like you say anything that's smelly stinky that you know your dog will go crackers for I've used so many things over the years sausages hot dog sausages cheese you name it squeezy cheese is a great one as well because you can just pop the lid on and stick that in your pocket but games is a really interesting one as well I found that with one of my dogs that he he loves his food and for a recall he would come back for a piece of food but he would enjoy it far more if I threw the piece of food when he got to me so that he could sniff it out because he's, he's half spaniel he's half spaniel half lab um, so you can see why he likes the sniffing and he also likes the food element um, and he would enjoy that far more if he could see that I was going to throw it and he'd have the challenge of oh I've got to find that piece of food now rather than me just handing it to him and him thinking oh great yeah I've come back for some food that was great um so yeah it's really interesting and, and a, I found it really enjoyable actually to find what your dog enjoys and how they enjoy receiving it as well so is it just a, a throw the ball and they catch it or do the, they like you to launch it for miles so that they get to really power off after it and run so yeah it's really fascinating and and as a dog lover I think you should really enjoy sort of finding out what they love and what they like to come back for also aside from the training um deciding how your dog likes to have his food delivered to him i think also makes a difference so um we very rarely feed directly in a bowl um you know on the floor where it's just 30 seconds and it's gone we tend to do a lot more kind of so as you said find it games uh, hiding things around different places in the garden snuffle mats are great if you've got dry food so you can hide your little kibble within the sort of prongs of, of a snuffle mat um that you can or, or in a long carpet for example or, or in the grass and the dog can sniff it out and anything where they're being encouraged to use their noses um to try and find food i think sort of mimics things that they would have done i guess in the wild before they became domesticated but anything where they're sort of using their brains will just take them a little bit longer and will tire them out a little bit as well so you know using lots of dog enrichment things like kongs and um puzzle toys and things to get some of that energy out before you go and take them on a walk i think sometimes or you know in the evening when they're being a little bit crazy um sometimes in some some food but in the form of enrichment can can really help burn out some of that puppy energy as well one of the questions that we have been asked is do the dogs tend to sniff more when they get to an adolescent stage is that something that you're aware of uh, yeah, I think anecdotally, lots of people uh, say that their dog would much rather go and smell um, things in the environment than come back and listen to you. And I think a lot of dogs at this point are paying more attention to smell because of their hormones, because they're looking for potential mates, uh, particularly male dogs. Lots of dogs will go off and find something really smelly to roll in. Um, and so I think at this age, they are just paying a lot more attention to their nose than they were before. Um, and this could be a little bit because they're also feeling more confident. So it could be that when they were puppies, maybe they could smell it and physically they could get the scent um, and they might have been interested in it. But maybe they weren't feeling that confident to be able to go off and sniff it by themselves far away from mum and dad. So I think the, the, the increase in confidence to go off and be a little bit more independent and not necessarily listen when you're called um, comes hand in hand with the fact that they're interested in smells to try and um, find potential mates as well. That makes perfect sense. Uh, unfortunately, my dog, or well, one of my dogs is eight now, and he still hasn't got out of the sniffing habit and was actually having a bath at half past seven this morning where he'd rolled in something. Oh, dark. no. So, yes, it's just, just one of those things you learn to live with, really. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, 
moving back to um the sleeping pattern and and some puppies behaving badly in the evenings we were saying about feeding them in um sort of kongs or slow feeders etc to expel some of that energy um why do puppies sometimes behave badly in the evenings where they've been perfect little angels all day long and they have a little play session they have a little nap and then another play session another little nap and then in the evening all hell breaks loose and it's just you think you're living with the devil child because they just go completely crackers why is that something that's reported so often I definitely have heard of sort of puppy zoomies in the evening and I, I think this is a combination of the dog having had a busy day, having learnt lots of new things and had lots of new experiences and just being a little bit overstimulated often. Um, my dog particularly, you know, he has he's full of energy and he could go and go and go, but he would go until I tell him to stop in a way. So, you know, use of things like a bed or a crate when they're younger to try and help them have that off switch, I think is really important. And some dogs need to be told, you know, how to relax, need to be taught how to relax, um, particularly, you know, the, uh, in the evenings when... I think a lot of the, the problem with evenings with dogs is that it's us expecting that this is our time to relax. Whereas for the dog, they might have had, you know, a nap and then woken up four times throughout the day. And during all those wakeful um, moments, they've been played with, they might have been taken for a walk, they might have been fed. And then suddenly they wake up the fifth time and nobody wants to play with them. They want to sit in front of the telly and relax. And, you know, they give you some things to quiet you down, but actually you want to play now. So I think... I guess there's this idea that, you know, what are we doing to help our dogs understand that in the evening when we're sitting, when we're all in the lounge, we want to just relax and, and watch telly. And that means teaching our dogs that that's what we want. Because um, I guess in a way it's kind of unfair to expect them that on this time during the day, you have to relax with us, even though throughout the day we've played with you all every other time you've woken up. So I think lots of dogs can be a bit overstimulated at that time anyway, so they're more likely to be a little bit what we may see as disobedient. Um, but it's also, I guess, it's it's weird for them to have to just relax. It's not really in their nature, I don't think, to sort of understand that when it's a little bit darker and when mum and dad are sitting on the sofa, actually, I should, I should also sit on the sofa and be quiet. <laughs> so I think it's about teaching our dogs that during this time of the day, um, we relax and so you should also relax, I think is important. Yeah, that's really brilliant, actually, because um, I've just gone through some training with my puppy and one of the exercises that we were set was the settle exercise. Um, and I kind of read about it and thought, yeah, that's nice in theory, but A, never going to happen because I've got a Springer Spaniel and he's bonkers. Um, and B, where's the fun in that? What what What's fun about training that exercise? And I can honestly say of everything I've taught my dog, that was one of the most fun exercises I have trained. We've got a little settle mat and he has learned to settle on it. He can switch off even when he's right in the middle of going absolutely bonkers. We get this special little settle mat out, which is just a tiny little towel, but he associates switching off with it. And we've actually started to call it his magic mat now, because as soon as we get the mat out, he gets straight on it with all four paws and just stares at it because he knows if I stare at it and I look down for long enough, then some treats are going to rain down from somewhere magical up above but if I look up and start playing about then nothing happens and it's just been the most rewarding exercise so yeah anybody with puppies out there I would definitely encourage them to look up the settle exercise and train it because it's it's a brilliant fun and be so useful because 
I can take my puppy anywhere now. I can sit in the middle of a, a busy pub when time allows um, and I can go to a restaurant and he will quite happily settle under the table by the side of me because I've got his little mat out that fits in my bag. It's just, it's fantastic. It's such a brilliant thing to teach your dog and so rewarding for both you and them as well. Um, Alex, it's been so lovely to chat to you today. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and suggest any literature to read if they want to get into some more of the real nitty gritty of dog adolescence and dog training? Yeah, so thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you this morning. Um, there's loads and loads of literature out there on, on dog stuff, um, the, particularly if you're interested in the more behavioural side of things. There's some really good Facebook groups. Um, dog training advice and support on Facebook is one of my go-to places when there's, when there's problems. Um, uh, you can also look up things like you know the, the Blue Cross website, the RSPCA website, or look for local trainers near you. I think it's really important now, given that we understand so much about our dogs and that we, you know our re my research has shown how clever our dogs are and how much they're able to communicate with us and t you know uh, have that social relationship with us. I think it's really important that we don't do them a disservice when it comes to the training and thinking back to all of the ways that we maybe used to train, punishment, choke collars, you know things like that. We don't don't need to use those tools anymore because we understand them so much better so finding a positive uh, reinforcement trainer in your area that can really give you one-to-one -one help if you need it uh, that is going to support your relationship with your dog rather than damage it I think is super important um, and if you're interested in kind of more generally understanding about my research you can have a look on our on the University of York website you can find me on there um, and there's some links to, to research that you might be interested in or if you're looking for kind of more general um, literature if you're interested in research with dogs but want something a little bit more like a novel one of my favorite books one of the earliest books I read um, on the subject was The Genius of Dogs by Brian Hare and Vanessa Woods that's got lots of information in there about the relationship with dogs the social behaviors of dogs as well as you know how they um, think and behave uh, and it's really accessible to lots of different people so you know you don't have to be a dog trainer or a vet to understand a lot of the material in there so there's loads of stuff go and find a resource that you enjoy reading and fill your boots great advice thanks so much again alex and thank you everybody for listening to the first episode of the podcast make sure you leave us a rating and a review and do let us know if there's anything you would like to know